The root of the word courage is cor, the Latin word for heart. In one of its earliest forms, the word courage had a very different definition than it does today. Courage originally meant to speak one's mind by telling all of one's heart. Over time, this definition has changed, and today, courage more, is more synonymous with being heroic. Heroics is important, and we certainly need heroes, but I think we've lost touch with the idea that speaking honestly and openly about who we are, about what we're feeling, and about our experiences, good and bad, is the definition of courage. Heroics is often about putting our life on the line. Ordinary courage is about putting our vulnerability on the line. In today's world, that's pretty extraordinary. Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. Bending Not Breaking, The Dragon Prince Edition. Season three, episode five, Heroes and Masterminds. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. This is your host, Ben Pruitt, and I am thoroughly excited for today's episode. One, because this episode has a lot going on. There is so much. But more importantly, I'm excited because we have a guest today. And our guest today is one of our patrons. And I am so pleased to introduce you all to Maggie McKelvey. Maggie, how are you today? Hello, Ben. I'm doing really well. Hello, everyone, Dragon Prince friends and Atla Universe people. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this episode and courage and all things World of Dragon Prince. It's very exciting. There's a this is you picked an episode. I'm just saying <laughs> this one's got a lot going on. This is my favorite episode of this season. So that is part of the reason why I picked it. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I can see why. I, I mean, I, I rewatched it. And I was like, oh my goodness, there is just so many different things you can talk about. So we'll have to do our best to keep our our lens on on the prize of courage, right? Yeah. Um, but that's that's okay. We can do that. There's plenty of good things to talk about with that lens too. So you've picked courage. Courage is the word of the day, and I, I don't, I've never heard of this author that you mentioned. Um, <laughs> For the quote, <laughs> who is this Dr. Dr. Brown, you said? Yeah, Brene Brown. Um, if you haven't heard of her, she's pretty cool. She has like a TED talk, a couple books. You know, you probably, you probably haven't heard of her. She talks about vulnerability, courage, things like that. Um, you know, things we should all kind of be aware of. But uh, yeah, you should go check her out. She's pretty wow. cool. Man, I need to go read those. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, you picked courage for a reason, um, and I'm curious what what was the reason? What why did you want to talk about courage today? That's a great question. So when I first watched the episode after I emailed and confirmed with you that this is the one that I could do, I watched it and I just kind of absorbed everything, and I was like, okay, pause the at the end of the episode, and I was like, what is a good lens to discuss? And it was hard. I don't know how you guys do it every single time. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> many options but I I ended up picking courage because of the moment um near the end of the episode that we'll talk about where Corvus is talking to Ezrin Mm -hmm. about how you know he showed more courage than most kings do in entire lifetime and I just thought that was such a profound moment of the show and for him to have with you know Ez being such a young 
leader who is now no longer a leader, right? Because he's no longer king. Mm. And I was like, that's that's it. Because there's so many moments of where so many different characters have to be courageous in this episode and have to do things that are uncomfortable and have to stand up and go against, you know, the status quo. And I was like, that's it. That's the one we're going to pick. Yeah. I, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at the screen and this is, this is the moment that it happened. I was like, courage. Okay. We're talking about courage. Let's watch the episode. And then I, I pulled a Leonardo and I was like, Oh, oh there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay, so there's a lot going on, but you know, here's the deal. Uh, not everybody has watched this episode recently that is listening. So, Maggie, as our guest, you have a distinct honor of leading us in the 30 second recap. How are you feeling about that? You know, I'm a little nervous, but mostly excited, and it's just gonna be how it is. I have bullet points, so I have notes. <laughs> It's going to be great. I did not practice it. I will say that. I did not practice it. I just wrote it out and went, we'll just see how it goes. All right. Well, we will see how it goes. I guess we'll hear how it goes. We won't really see it. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock. And then when I say go, it's time for you to have 30 seconds and I'll give you a 10 second warning. Sound cool? Sounds cool. All right. On your mark. Get set. And... Ezrin is imprisoned. Rayla and Callum have to rescue a kidnapped Zim across the desert. Viren takes the crown unlawfully. Soren frees Ezrin with the help of some hay and some new allies. A few brave soldiers stand against Viren and desert the army. Ez and Bate and Fifi set off on their own to travel towards Zadia. Callum and Rayla catch up to Minx and Zim. Rayla saves everyone. Callum gives an amazing speech about Rayla being a hero. They share a moonlight kiss. End of episode. Um, with time to spare. Wow. That was pretty darn good. How do you feel about it? How'd you feel? What was it like? You know, I feel really good. I hit all of my bullet points and I think I hit like some of the important topics. Granted, there's like other things that happened in this episode, but yeah, that's good. I feel good. Good. That's what we want. We want to foster feeling good. How do we cultivate more feeling good? Because when I do it, I I won't say anything. All right. So we're going to talk about courage today. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of courage in this episode. So I'm, I'm curious, do you, are you are you going like, where do you want to go first? It might be what you lifted up already or it might be somewhere else. What, but what do you want to talk about first when it comes to courage? That's a great question. Okay, so I want to start with Opelli in the mm. throne room mm-hmm. where she stands up to Viren when he kind of just picks up the crown, right? And she has this great moment where she's like, Viren, you're not above the law. And then he has that like super intense where he like stares at the crown and his I am the law. Yeah, exactly. He goes, I am the law. And I was like, that is so. I don't know. I feel like that's one of those moments where we've already seen Viren kind of turn away from who he was in like season one. But at that point, I was like, it was so villainous. I loved it, but I hated it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm 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 hopeful we get to talk to Jason again this season. Um, I've been in in back and forth with him, but uh, we're we're all kind of busy, so it might not happen. But I'm really interested in this take from him because he's been a hardcore Viren stan from the beginning, like not even because it's his character, but because he like believes that he's doing it. Like he believes that Viren believes he's doing it for the right reasons. And I'm not sure that he can stay on board with this at this point. So I'm really like, I want to ask that question. Um, but I, the courage you're pointing to 
is Opelli's courage to stand up to Viren in this moment. Mm-hmm. So why, why is this courage? Why is this not something else? That's a great question. I think I originally looked at the scene and went, she's not being that courageous because she's just speaking her mind. Mm. But partway through the scene where no one else agrees with her, right? And then Mm. she's all of a sudden the only person who's speaking up in the room that has noblemen, has soldiers, um, right? It's it's very full. It's not just her and Viren and a couple councilmen, right? Like the, the room is full. And I just, it's the moment after where she kind of looks around and realizes that she really is alone because no one else is either verbally agreeing with her or non-verbally. And she continues to talk to him and goes, you are not above the law. And then has that moment where Corvus is like, right at the end of the scene, he's like, we have to leave, right? It's no longer safe for us here. We have to take the courage and we have to flee. So there's like multiple layers in there, but. And the fact that she's a woman, right? She's one of the few women of power in the room. And she was like, this is what needs to happen. And like, we have these laws, we have this system, you know, only an orphan. And then Viren is like, well, my parents are dead. And he's like, and it's not just that he says that and like tries to actually argue the point. He says it in a, like a belittling, sarcastic tone as if he's already like, this is a done deal, right? And so it's, this is like Viren at like hype scary right now. This is like really, really trapped and it's terrible. Um, so yeah, I agree. <sighs> One of the things I wish Pel- Opelli didn't do in this was she leaned hard into the law, right? This is what's right because of the law. And I, I think that there could have been potentially more headway and more argument and more capacity to sway people in the room had she not solely relied on law and she relied on like morality <laughs> and relied on other things. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, I, I don't blame her for that. Don't get me wrong. But I do wonder if sometimes when we get locked into these tense situations, we fall back and default to what has always been the sustainer or the foundation and for Opelia it seems like it's been the law this has been that's kind of her function in a way in the court um so it's interesting I like what are your what are your thoughts on that is that just me no I agree and I wonder if because we don't really know the situation that led up to that point right there we kind of yeah. zoom in and they're all just kind of in the courtroom so I wonder if they had like come together in like the sole purpose of deciding who is going to like take the throne, right? It had been more of like a meeting versus I feel like Viren pulled everyone there and was like, I am now king. Mm-hmm. Wasn't able to have that time to be like, well, yes, I have the law to back me, but I need to pull other people, right? To back yeah. me too. All of a sudden she's just standing in a room going, wait, this isn't, this isn't right. We have a process. And like in the past, like you said, the process has probably stood up you know, over time and worked for them as a kingdom. And now all of a sudden everything is out the window and she's like, I don't, I'm not prepared. Yeah. I I think what's interesting about this and something that the way you're kind of saying this is making me think that I I wonder how uh, much influence Viren had and who was in the room and not just Viren, 
but also this this other Opelli level character, and I don't know that we ever learn his name, but this is the one who convinces Ezrin to step down. This is the one who has been like sneaking behind everybody and trying to get Viren back in power. Um, he wears the hat. And I wonder how much influence he had and in, in who was in the room also. And I think that's a, that's a question that's worth asking, right? Is who has control over who was in this room? Because it's clearly not just like, I, when Ezrin came into the court, it's like only these people are allowed. And, he, and, he's, and that's clearly not the case here. And so I don't know, I'm, I'm curious who had control over that. That's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because we don't know, yeah. but it could very well be because we know Viren is very manipulating. He definitely could have set the whole room other than Opelli and Corvus to all be in his favor. Yeah. So that way also no one sees you know, who's kind of on the fence, Opelli stand up against him, right? It's all the people that are already sold that Viren is right, Viren exactly. is the law. Yeah. So returning just a little bit back to courage here, I'm curious then if, since Opelli did speak up, why doesn't Corvus? And so like, is, is that a courage question for Corvus on why he didn't speak up or is it something else? I think it's a strategy. Mm. moment right because Corvus isn't really a nobleman right he's more of a guard yeah. he's more of the tracker right he's the one that they send out to find the princes originally so I see him more as not having to work within the policies and the politics of the throne room right mm. he's the person that they um, the nobles will send out on more field missions right so he's kind of working behind the scenes and I kind of looked at, because there is that moment where we watch his face very briefly, and I kind of saw him calculating, right? Because he's thinking, I would assume, right, this is just my opinion, that if Prince Ezrin is in prison right now and Opeli just stood up against Viren, that he has to figure out somehow how to get both of them out of the kingdom to do better good. Because no, yeah. you know, sometimes you have to stay within a system to change it, and sometimes you have to break outside of the system. I think mm -hmm. it took him courage not to stand up because he knew strategically oh, that they needed to leave the system in order to stand up against it later. So like balancing short-term versus long-term aims, like, okay, long-term, it's going to be better if we get out of here. Yeah. And I need to be courageous and believe that it'll be okay if I don't say something right now. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Mm, okay. That's, I can buy it. And again, I, I ask similar questions of Soren, right, in this moment, right? And because we know Soren is like changing and like he's on this like, oh, I'm not so sure about dad anymore train. Um, and we see him go behind Viren's back, right? And he's going to release Ezrin and make sure that everybody who is on like the Ezrin team gets out safely. And I'm curious about this also, because this is a, an active courage I think I think it's a massive act of courage for for Soren to do what he's doing and not just because it's Viren but because it's the new king because it's dad it's because it's there, there's just a lot of layers on Soren rebelling here so um what are what are your thoughts on Soren in this episode I'm really glad you brought that up because that was my next point to go to because it ties in so well with like Opelia and Corvus and then yeah. we see right, Soren leaves the 
the crown room while his dad is still in the process of giving like this big speech, right? He just kind of slips out. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think this is like one of the the main points where we see Soren kind of become an adult, right? He, he's thinking on his own and he's realizing that, wow, dad's really not the greatest person. And I love how he has this moment after you know, he runs into Apelian Corvus and he goes to help Ezrin escape. And then he talks about to Ezrin how he failed as crown guard to, you know, the king as his dad yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And now he wants to make it right. So it's it's one of those moments where I don't think he sees his dad as, as the true king. I think he has, you know, he's still viewing Ezrin as king, which I just love because right now that's not what the world is telling him, right? It's not what the kingdom is telling him. And yet he's, you know, really standing up against his dad, which is huge, right? He's always been more of the blind follower, do what dad says, do what, you know, the commanding officer says. And now he's really thinking for himself. He's not always the most creative, right? Like here, I brought you a bag. You will, you will hide in the sack. (laughs) (laughs) Gosh, the the hay sequence <laughs> is just. I was sitting here just chuckling, all, like as I watched it this morning, because it's just <laughs> just keep quit yelling at me. <laughs> uh, man, so much good from that. Okay, so okay, just to I'm gonna dive a little bit deeper into Soren here, yeah. um, and thinking about everything that's led up to this, and I'm I'm wondering if there's a relationship between guilt and courage and you know Soren has just spent the entire last season you know season really season and a half trying to uh kill Callum and Ezrin and you know uh, half-heartedly not (laughs) uh but like doing his best to like live in this I have to do this but I don't want to and this guilt has been growing and growing and growing and then once he's been gaslighted by Viren, and now Viren's in power he's like i can't i can't this is not okay so i'm wondering if guilt uh contributes and builds courage or if it if there's any relationship at all and i'm, I'm not sure but i'm curious what your thoughts are i'm wondering if guilt is kind of one of those moments where you're kind of on the precipice, right? And you're like, I could, you know, be comfortable and just kind of walk away from the guilt and go, well, that's not my problem, or I don't have to deal with that. Or I think you have to have courage in order to face the guilt because you did something out of, you know, immorality, or you did something and you look back and you go, you know, that wasn't the best choice that I've made. And not necessarily like to fix it, right? Because we can't always fix things. But in this instance, Soren is really trying to work on bringing the nation, right? And the kingdom back together. And I think he does have to grapple with his own guilt. But I think he's also grappling with just being who is Soren at this point, right? And what is his Uh, role? I mean, to me, this is what, a redemption arc looks like in a way, right? And thinking about uh, at least so-called redemption, like Soren was a victim in this. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where he struggles, he's quote, seen light. And now it's at the point where he's like, man, because I did all this bad, bad stuff, 
or attempted to do all of this bad stuff. I need to make up for it. And that to me is guilt being the energy behind wanting to do good. And therefore, because I have this drive to do good, I have now uh, something to stand on when I come to this, this moment that I have to make a decision that where it requires courage. And so I'm, I'm, and I think that had it been shame instead of guilt, had he been like, I'm a terrible person. Well, I'm, I'm so bad that I might as well keep being bad. Like, you know, that's one thing, but guilt does the other thing where it's like, no, I did something bad and I can do better. And that's like the fuel almost for courage. So I, that's kind of like the way my mind tracked. And it's interesting. I, I hadn't really thought about it until I thought about Soren. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I really, I remember the first time I watched Dragon Prince, I binged the whole thing. Um, and we got, of course, cause it was so good. It was also during pandemic, right? So I wasn't going anywhere anyway. Um, and when we got, we got to this point in the story, because some of the writers, right, are the same as Atla. And I was like, this is so beautiful, again, to see another person that we don't necessarily like at the beginning have this moment where, again, his father is in leadership, is in power, making great decisions, and he's just been trying to please his dad the whole time. And then all of a sudden goes, I don't need that validation I should just have that, you know, that love should be there and it's not there. So now I'm going to stand up for what I'm starting to see and view the world as, you know, though, dad, those views aren't the best. Like there are better views out there and it's, it's so beautiful. And it, it is. it's kind of like a redemption arc, but again, like you said, Soren is also the victim. So he's human, right? So everyone has negative parts to them and he's not the villain in the story, but we, we come to love him. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's what's really interesting about the comparison between Zuko and Soren, right? Is both of them were led to these. They're both victims in the situation that they're in, right? And we don't see a redemption arc of Ozai. And I'm not sure if we're going to see a redemption arc or not of Viren. Right. We don't know. We like, that's the, that's what's like, this is like, normally we're watching it and we're like, Oh my goodness, I know exactly what's going to happen. And here's what all of these, Oh, I get to look at this scene and this is directly leads to this episode in season seven, but we don't have that yet. And so we're kind of like at this theorizing guessing game where I'm not sure if Viren is redeemable. (laughs) Now, like, like so many people have died, <laughs> like so many people, especially after this season where it's like, I, I don't think there's a way to like get out of this. Um, and I don't know if we'll, we'll even see it. And it's the same thing with Erebus, right? And, but I think what makes redemption arcs uh, appealing is that when we see ourselves in these people, in Soren and Zuko, we believe that we were you know, led into these positions and we actually have this, you know, we're, we're good people. We were just traumatized as children, or we were just blank, or we were just, 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 and then something changes where we um, are able to, to do better. And I just like to think that we all have capacity for that. And 
it's interesting that these shows are showing us people like Soren and Zuko be redeemed, quote, be redeemed, and not Ozai. So it's interesting to, to think about it. Or Azula, for that matter. Um, but I'm just, just, just thinking out loud. <laughs> great thoughts. They're all, they're all great. And it humanizes them, right? Like that's the beauty of having a character that you don't like at the beginning. Mm. It shows the flaws of humanity, right? Like you said, but then at this point, I think we start to see that, you know, he is human. He can make choices and decisions that are quote unquote better, right? For the, the good of his kingdom. We're only human. Exactly. Um, okay. We've talked about Soren. Let's talk about Claudia for a minute. Love Claudia. <laughs> Claudia. I'm just like, poor Claudia. This From here to the end, it's just like, oh no, Claudia. <laughs> um, it's, ugh. okay. So I'm curious. I, I didn't really have anything specific, but I wanted to like ask you because I don't know that I see where courage is in this conversation between Claudia and Viren. And I would love to kind of dive into it because this is a really important conversation that we see. And, you know, he continues to tell her that he's, oh no, I'm, I'm doing this for the good of the world. And Claudia's like, and she actually says, I think it's important that he uses her words to finish his sentence. He's like, I'm doing this because, and then Claudia jumps in. Oh, it's for the good of everybody. And he's like, it's for the good of everybody. <laughs> uh, and I am misquoting, but it's similar. And his use of her language is, imp- is really important here as, as a means of control, as a means of manipulation. And I'm, I'm where is there courage in this moment? Or is this just completely, this is not a courage moment. I'm, what are your thoughts? You know, I didn't write it down as a courage moment because there's only like two interactions really that Claudia has in this episode, right? She's kind of a smaller character, which is interesting because at the beginning she was more predominant than Soren was. And now Mm -hmm. we start to see this flip of the two siblings, right? The one that as viewers and as fans, we go, Claudia, no, go towards the light, not away from the light, right? Like we see this change happen and you know i don't i don't know if there is a moment of courage because it is it's really her giving up on soren in a way and just committing to the fact that i'm gonna trust what dad says because he knows what to say right and they kind of tease claudia all the time right of like when she does like her little nose tap thing in earlier seasons right like oh and they're like no one speaks claudia yeah but then here He's absolutely speaking Claudia in order, like you said, to manipulate Claudia because he knows that he needs her. And I just think that's so interesting because you see him have conflict after she leaves the room, right? Because he's like, she's my daughter. So clearly he does have some care for her. But at the same time, he's so focused on what his goal is that she's I don't know. I feel like, you know, later on, we don't know what happens, but yeah, he's going to get hurt. Like she's going to become like in the line of, in the line of fire. It's almost like, 
I've been working in, in the hospital recently and thinking I've been working with patients with delirium and it's almost like this was a moment of lucidity for Viren where he has been, you know, so Erevos centric. And then this moment with his daughter recentered him for a moment and he, he, he was, he was lucid. He's like, no, this is what matters to me. And then Erebus is like, okay, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I I wonder if that's an accurate, like thing to consider. Is this something where this is a, is, I mean, Viren is just as much of a victim in this as Claudia is. The problem is it's really easy to pin everything on Viren because he is the mouth. He is the voice. He is the one who is doing everything, but it's really Erebus going like this. Right. And like puppeteering. And I, I think that's the only way for me to kind of see a redemption arc for, for Viren is to be like, okay, he's out from underneath this, you know, Erevos spell, so to speak, and sees like, oh my goodness, what have I done? And I don't know if we're going to get it, but it, we might, and that will make it very complicated because I will still want to hold him accountable for the things that he did. So it's like, but uh, going back to this courage conversation with Claudia and and Viren is, I wonder if it is a lack of courage on Claudia's part. So not necessarily a, an act of courage, but rather an act of um, cowardice to, I wonder if she's so scared that Viren's gone bad that she's unwilling to accept it. And so she's making up stories that to help validate his behavior. Um, that's, that's my kind of thought process. Does that resonate with you or is that like uh, off the wall kind of a suggestion? <laughs> no, I, I think you're bringing up a great point, especially because one of the things I was noticing in this episode too is it's really one of the, the last episodes we see this like lightheartedness mm-hmm. that we have with her, right? Like there's that moment later on where Viren is like, well, where's Soren? And she's like, he's in the bathroom. And then she's like, I would only need one, you know, color to paint that picture. And she's just like brown, right? <laughs> and then she has that still like lighthearted, yeah. um, you know, still sees the good in the world. So I don't, I don't necessarily know if it's an act, a lack of her having courage, but I just don't think she's fully aware. And that might be because she's telling herself, she's deluding herself to the story that's actually happening that is not lining up with reality. But I think her, her lack of courage comes later on later in the season where we really see her start to turn and go against what her morals would be. Right. I can get behind that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's one of those like, is it? It's not. It's not cowardice or a lack of courage until you know what you're actually like going against. And it seems like she's still in this unaware phase of like, no, this is totally true. In this like, when we're deluding ourselves, so to speak, um, it's not really courage. <laughs> it's I'm no, I I believe this. Um, so it ceases to be that. So I think that's worth. I think that's that's important. I'm glad you lifted that up. Mm. Okay, what else? What's another moment for you? So shortly after what we talked about with Claudia is where Viren brings the army together, right? Oh and he, my gosh, this such scene. a powerful moment, right? And he says it the way he 
gives this address to his army about, right? I am humbled to stand before you. Yeah. And he's so manipulating. And the way he even, you know, phrases everything that King Ezrin made this decree and we will stand by it, um, where Mm -hmm. those who do not want to fight can lay down their weapons, but really you're cowards. So it's the, it's the first soldier, they all show courage, but it's that first soldier who looks around, no one else is doing anything, and he is the first one. Defiant, looks Viren in the face, and plunges that sword into the ground. Yeah. So I, beautiful. I wrote this down also. This is a, a pivotal moment. I, I, there's a lot of research on being the first to volunteer for something, uh, and not just volunteer, but being the first to uh stand up and dance in a in a in a field right and it what happens is one person will stand up and then one person will be like oh they did it and then they'll go and do it and then they're eventually it turns into a tipping point and there's a there's a whole ted talk on that but it requires that one person to do it first and that's a massive act of courage because there's so much that could happen you don't have any idea especially when viren's like clearly angling uh, with his tone and body language that like, don't do this or else. Um, so yeah, I, I absolutely agree. This is a, a massive act of courage. And even the fact after the couple, and it's not a lot of soldiers, which I think I appreciated more in like the storyline that a lot of the soldiers stayed mm-hmm. and only a few were, you know, clear thinking enough or brave enough to go. I'm I will not stand for this or I don't want to fight for this. But the, the fact that afterwards that they have to wear that, that badge, that broken link. Oh, so many problems, (laughs) so many problems, but such a good, like as an audience, the scene is so uncomfortable. And I think it It is that uncomfortable, you know, like they did such a good job taking a moment that could easily have been like, we could have stopped with him putting the sword, you know, in the ground. And like, that could have been the end of the scene, right. Which would have been kind of a high note to end on for that scene. Like, Oh yeah, they got this. But instead it's them with their backs turned walking out of the gates, knowing that they now have to wear this badge as the broken link. And I think it's just so interesting because especially military, if you come up to a point where you no longer agree with what's happening, it's not easy to leave. It's that not. situation and you're looked down upon by yeah. your peers, by your community, right? Just by people in relationship to you. Yeah. So it's just, it's a very emotional scene. It's a very difficult scene. Well, it also, what it does is it's brilliant on Viren's part because what it does is make it so that if you ever decide to leave, you are admitting weakness right? It's, it's calling you weak to leave. It is creating this culture that is uh, shaming anyone who leaves. And when you've already been a part of that, when you're a part of the in crowd, all of a sudden, like choosing to go out of that after this point is almost worse, right? Because there's going to be even more shame and condemnation and name calling based off of everybody else who's in the in crowd, you already know what everybody else thinks. And so it, it's a masterful way to uh, cultivate a sense of um, 
what's the word? I don't know what the right word is, but just like this need to stay a part of this group, lest I be, you know, lest I not belong anywhere. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. You know, this first soldier that does this, I, I, I want to kind of return to that just for a moment. I think there's a reason that this soldier is the one that steps up forward, steps forward first. This is the same soldier that was spared by Rayla. This is the same soldier that has been pretty proximate to the throne uh, that pulled Sword and Claudia in and put them in chains. And Ezra was like, release them. And he's like, but like they're Virian's kids. This is the same soldier throughout this, this tracking. And so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are as to how his history played a role in him being the first one to stand up to Viren. I'm really glad you brought that up because I did notice that when I was watching, I was like, oh, that's so cool that we get to see. And I don't think we know his name. I don't think we it, ever do. I don't know if we do. It's the face that we recognize, right? So and the hair. And the hair. Yes, his hair, right? Which is so interesting because soldiers are supposed to be so uniform, right? That they're not, right? They lose that individuality. And yet a lot of them have so much personality in them. And mm-hmm. I think we get to see that in his like story progression, right? He's a soldier following orders and tries to capture and kill Rayla, but then it, she spares him, which is I think the first tipping point for him because elves are supposed to be bad, right? They're supposed to be assassins. And yeah. yet she's unable to take his life and then being in such close proximity to hearing Ez talk about, you know, Zadia is not a bad place and elves are not the enemy and we need to have peace. Like just kind of being in that close circle, I think is starting to shape his ability to go. I really, I want to stand with Ezrin, right? Like that's the leader I want to be with. Mm. And I think you're right. I think that's part of the reason why it was probably really difficult for him, but he was able to take that courageous step and go, I will not fight for this. Yeah. You're reminding me of the conversation we had. uh, We had the conversation I had with Kelly in episode three around vision with Ezrin kind of created this vision of peace that people were like, that's, that's something I want to buy into. And I wonder if that's what it is. I wonder if this vision that Ezrin has kind of cultivated and the uh, relationships that he's seen and the, exactly what you're naming, I wonder if that's the vision he's like, I want to live into this. This is why I have the courage is because I know that this is possible. Yeah, that's so great. And also just understanding too, right, that Ezrin is striving for peace. Yeah. And if this guard has been, the soldier has been in the throne room, he's heard them talk about the the thousands of lives that will be lost in this battle, right? Because they've shown, I don't remember the exact marker a couple episodes ago, right? Where one flag was like 10,000 soldiers or something, right? And Ezra was like, we cannot sacrifice all of these people. These are people. No, no, no sacrifice, bad. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is just a, man. We will have no weak links today. Oh God. I just like, I cringe during that entire scene. It's you're, you're so right that it makes us so uncomfortable. Oh man. And the fact that he says we don't want them. Mm -hmm. Like that is like, Oh, that's another moment where I was like, that's just, Oh, doesn't sit right. I know it's not supposed to, but it really doesn't sit right. No, 
Yeah. No, that's good writing is what it is. It's like, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, we probably spent enough time here. Uh, what's another moment that you want to lift up? It's a small one, but I want to talk about Ezrin traveling to Zadia with just bait and Fifi, right? On his oh, own and fleeing his kingdom, right? Because he felt so compelled earlier this season that I should go back with Corvus and I should take my place mm-hmm. as king and that is my duty. And now none of the adults are going with him, right? Like this is ah. his first moment of really going out on his own. And I'm sure they didn't go with him because it's, as we see later on, it's it's a lot for Fifi to take him yeah. to Zadia. But I just think it's so interesting because clearly the people, his little, you know, posse, they want him to succeed. And I would think that their goal is to get him eventually back to being the king. And yet they don't send a guard with him, right? Corvus doesn't go with him to protect him. They just trust. And maybe it's because Fifi is magical and she can fly and she's magnificent. Um, But they just send him off on his own and he's just a kid. And I think even though he's excited to go to Zadia and go back on his original quest, which he felt so, you know, passionate about, I I would think he has to be at least a little bit afraid. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I, you know, because I think because he has this ability to talk to animals, I think I, I was like, I didn't even cross my mind. I was like, oh, he has Fifi. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that we have seen that he is clearly, he is capable of um, surviving because of his relationship with animals. But in terms of um, protection, we also have seen that he quite needs that as well. So it's this interesting thing where I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about what his feelings were other than I just, I think I just imagined he was excited to go <laughs> um, join his brother again and join Rayla. Wow. Yeah. I think you're pointing to something that's important there. I'm, I'm glad you lifted that up. And it might be that he's not even that aware of that it's taking courage, but I think later on in his life, at least I hope he looks back and goes, that was, that was a courageous moment. Like I should be proud of myself then. Right. Cause he is, he is very excited and he's like, this is what my path is now. And he's committed to it. And I think sometimes, right. When you're in the moment, you're like, oh, that didn't take courage. And then you step back and you go, oh, that could have turned out like, so, so many different outcomes could have happened. Right. So this raises a point for me that I, I'm going to use Rayla to talk about this because I think this is an apt uh, conversation and connection segue, if you will. Um, but I, she does a lot of things in this episode that what I would consider reckless. <laughs> uh, like soul things are not just like a, a bite that you get poisoned and it's not good. This is like, no, 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 no. There's a lot of them and you will die. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And not only that, but like Callum, like, why are you in front of the, why are you outside the wonder wall here? Why don't you get behind the, like, what are you doing? And so I'm sitting here being like that parent, you know, you know, the parent where, you know, the kid runs into the road and they like start getting angry at the kid instead of being like, like, and I'm, I'm getting angry. I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Protect yourself. Uh, um, instead of being like, Hey, why don't you think about going behind the wall? Because that's where you're safe. Um, so I'm wondering if this is courage. It, at what point does 
uh, this idea of doing an action that you can look back on later and say, wow, that was a, a moment that would require a lot of courage from me now. And so I'm proud of that moment. But in the moment, was it courage? And I, I, I don't know, like, I, I, I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm also not sure that it is. Um, because I like Rayla is very confident. And so part of me is wondering if this is like a, like, are you, you're just a little too cocky here. And clearly she's not, she's very capable, but it's also one of those things where like, I just like shoot that snake was like this far from her heel where she mm-hmm. would have done so. And so at some point there's a little bit of recklessness that I'm, I'm really curious about too, in kind of all of Rayla's actions throughout the rest of this episode. So uh, thoughts, what are your thoughts here? I'm so glad you brought this up. And there's also the reckless scene right later on where she swings with Callum. Yeah. I've never done that before. I've never done that before. And he's like, Oh yeah. She's just, she's so excited. So I would say out of all of those moments that she has, I would say, right. We know she's very capable. She has great abilities as an elf and she does have training. And I think you're right. I think she's a little overconfident which leads to a little bit of recklessness. So the, the one point I wrote down with Rayla being courageous is when she goes back to save Nyx later in mm-hmm. the episode against the soul thing servants, right? Because at the, yeah. the beginning of the episode, she's trying to save their mount, but she doesn't show fear, right? She just goes straight out into the desert in the yeah. night through the Wonder Wall, like and no think, care for what's going on. Yeah, I think that's the difference, right? I think courage has a relationship with fear and if it doesn't then it seems like it it ceases to be courage and becomes something else and Rayla was just like no I got this boom and it was like and I just uh I I mean again it's like really hard to like criticize because she's very capable right this is one of those things where I'm especially from my position, I'm like, I'm a man criticizing a woman who's going into doing this. And it feels like, I just feel like that's probably not the best move. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I have to be careful here. And, and I, so I think being mindful of that's important. Um, but yeah, I just, I really struggle with going into things without like considering the consequences and maybe she did like maybe she carefully weighed the consequences but it doesn't seem like it I'm just gonna say so I don't know I'm I'm struggling with 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 Rayla in this whole episode she had a lot of moments of like immediate action right where she was just like I'm gonna go do this and I'm not really gonna think about Callum right who she has to protect because clearly Callum is not capable we love Callum I love Callum clearly also not capable (laughs) but also not capable right which it is interesting that they have that there isn't really a gender role here right it's she Mm. is the capable warrior and he's totally fine with that right he's like okay I'll yeah whatever you say right they have the moment where she just jumps on the ambler's leg and he's like "Uh uh-uh I can't do that. And she's like, I'll catch you. And he's like, okay, like, here we go. I'll follow you. Right. Because- well, I, think, I think that's courage. I think Rayla's jumping onto that thing has no courage at all. It's just like, this is, the, this is like a task on my to-do list versus for him. It's like, this is a real act of courage because there's a leap of faith <laughs> that he's taking, right? This is a legitimate, like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I trust Rayla. And I'm going to do yeah. this. And I think that is like, oh my God, Callum, I love you. 
it's a beautiful moment for sure yeah i the amount of trust he puts in her is extraordinary mm-hmm. and it, she's Especially, earned it right but, yeah um, and where they came from too i was just gonna say right from episode one season one yeah. the fact that we get here i think is just spectacular and it does it doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it doesn't fit right like because you said she's earned it right she's shown through past action that she is going to take care of both of the princes and she is obviously trying to you know take care of zim and do the right thing here and they are on this hard quest that they need each other but at the same time i would say yeah there's not a lot of moments where i was like rayla that was really courageous more like rayla we were a little bit on the edge like it just shows her like (laughs) she's kind of a daredevil which is fine and she needs to be because then things wouldn't like, would they have been able to catch up with the Ambler if she hadn't been, you know, able to just run out into the desert and get their mount back? Probably not. They could still be stuck at the Oasis. So at the same time, we have to weigh like all of her action allowed them to be able to do these other things. But at the same time, yes, you're absolutely right. I don't think she weighed in the cost yeah, and it yeah. could have changed the outcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious if there are other listeners out there that are like, no, this was full of courage. And I just like, I want to hear your thoughts because I'm just not seeing it that way. And Maggie and I are, seem to be on a similar wavelength. So I, I would love to hear from people who are seeing it differently. And yeah, chat with us. We would love to hear from you. BNB underscore pod or the archive at gmail.com. You can send us a voice memo. We'll play it. Maybe, you know, if it's good, you know, <laughs> or if we get one at all, you know, you know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it, we would love to hear from you. Uh, but I digress. Uh, I'm not sure that I would have, and I don't have the skills that Rayla has. Let's put that out there. Duh. Um, but I don't know that I would have felt compelled. Like I would have wanted to, I would have been like, this is the right thing to do, but I don't know if it's worth the cost of dying to save someone who has done this to us. And not only done this to us, but like has admitted to it, has then tried to get away a second time. Like they're like, and then, so it's one of those things where like, I, I love that she does. I think it's important. I think it really marks uh, uh, her character, but I also not sure that I would have made the same decision partially because I don't have the skill set, but I would have struggled with that decision. I'm not gonna lie. And we see her struggle for the briefest moment right? When you watch the episode, there's that- She's almost like exasperated. She's like, Ugh. Yes. That's a great way to describe it. Describe her. Cause she's like, well, I, I guess I'll have to save her. And I love how she tells Callum to go. And yet he's just so awestruck that he's just like standing there. And then she saves her and she's like, Callum, why aren't you running? Oh, okay. Yeah. There's literally death snakes chasing you. <laughs> Again, showing how Callum and her have very different personalities, very different abilities that they bring to this team. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Last thing on my list is Kissy Kissy and and Callum. And and I think it's this really interesting. I have a strange relationship with like people kissing people without asking because like hello consent right but it's also like that's where the romance is and it's like that's what you like and so there's this like uh cultural desire to like i just want them to know that i want them to kiss me right and you know rayla tries that and it was a big fail 
because he was just like completely surprised and then he's like okay well she's thinking this way now and like so i'm gonna i'm gonna do it right and then she's and then he pulls she pulls away and he's like oh no bad call bad call and then she leans in and then it's kissy kissy time but i i'm curious about the relationship between courage and consent here uh and i, I just what, what are your thoughts that's a big question. So <laughs> it is a huge question. Thanks for sending that my, that my way. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, you know, I also struggle with those moments too, because I'm like, well, yes, is it less romantic to go, can I kiss you? A little bit, but also at the same time, not so much. Yeah. That's fine. It's communication. But it I almost think takes- as, a cult- as a culture, we, we haven't learned that. Yeah. I, like part of me is like, it takes a little bit more courage to yeah. ask that question right because then they might say no and then it's like oh like would you rather them say no or would you like like and look at you funny or would you rather do it and then they get like it's it's like hello like it just seems like hmm, yes I, it's, it's a big struggle because and I also struggle with it because it's like people are like well just go talk to them and I'm like I have no reason to go talk to them like they're gonna think I'm a creepy man because you know men and (laughs) and so it's one of those things where like I have no reason to like because there there have been times when I'm walking down the street and I walk by someone who's gorgeous and I'm like you look really beautiful in my head because I don't want to say it out loud because that can come across as really creepy or can come across as really weird and it's like it's like so part of me is like what's the balance of like I need to be courageous just say it versus maintaining that boundary line of what is okay and what is not okay with (laughs) right and so i you know there's a lot of feedback for people just not you shouldn't comment on the way people look period at all (laughs) like and so i just there's a this lifts up a big question for me around courage and um attraction maybe and you know it's 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 weird it's interesting but I think they they would have had more courage if they had talked about it, right? Because they've already kissed the episode before. Mm-hmm. So they've already had that interaction. And it not that it didn't go well, but yeah. Callum was surprised. And he surprised himself again, which is just hilarious. Love Callum. Yeah. But I wonder if it had been, if it would have been different if he had just asked, yeah. right? Because yeah. they're already having this very intimate moment where he's talking about how great Rayla is and why she's a hero, right? Which is yep. why we Again. have this. Yes, exactly. Again, which is beautiful. So I don't think it would have lost any connection that they're having, right? In that moment, because they're already so connected because of the conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I easily think he could have woven in like, and she's great and she's smart and she's this, and I want to kiss her right now. And then, and then like, <laughs> like looking at her uh, for the side eye being like oh no did I just say that out loud and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it changes the game so I, I think they're who knows but I digress I just I wonder I, I I offer this to people to think about like what is how do you navigate that situation when you're because I'm I mean I'm the last person you're going to find in a, in a bar um going and talking up to somebody <laughs> you laugh you're laughing at me but it's, it's fair I, like I'm just it's not going to happen it's so anti my personality but um it's I, I offer that to people who who do do that and you're probably not listening to this episode but 
Okay. Um, I'm going to be done now. What's anything else? What, is there any, any final thoughts before we move on to our next uh, segment? Those are all of the points I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody. We're going to take some music time and then come back shortly. Sound good? Sound good. Welcome back. We had some music in our ears. I hope it was lovely. Thanks to our producer, Noah, who has been doing a lot of behind the scenes work. Um, Big fan. Very appreciative, especially in the Dragon Prince episodes does basically all of the production. So big fan. Um, So kudos to you. And we are back and Maggie's back with us. And we are going to jump into our next segment, which is the Lens MVP. And we are going to nominate two characters and you all will have a chance to kind of help us decide which one wins, you know, because it's fun when we have a little bit of a competition. Uh, So reminder, lens MVP, this is the person who shines the most in regards to the lens. And this does not mean they're like a good character or a bad character, but just because based off the lens, this is the person that has the most of this lens or does the most of it. Um, And so that's up to our interpretation. And Maggie is going to share her nomination first. Why, thank you, Ben. Um, I'm going to pick Soren for two reasons. I see it. For, of course, his reason to help Ezrin escape, super important for the rest of the story, but also his willingness to go out and reach out for Opeli and Corvus and, mm. you know, enlist them into this little, this little group to help, yeah. you know, save the kingdom and save the prince. And I just think that was, that was super helpful. And for him to be brave enough to just, you know, try to take as in a sack, you know, across the bridge, he ends up using hay, which is great. It's a great comedic moment. We love it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I'm really proud of Soren. I'm really proud of him. Thanks, man. He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> the hungry, hungry horses reminded me yeah. so much of hungry, hungry hippos. <laughs> oh, that was definitely intentional. That had, like that was absolutely intentional. Um, I, I it it had to be right. That had of to course. be a move on the writer's part. Um, but okay, yeah, I <sighs> Soren had a lot of courage, and I think that again, like it's we talked about this, but stemming from this history of like, I want to do what's right now and I can, and I'm going to, and I think it's really beautiful that he does all of these things and, and connects all of these people and says, Hey, moon lady in his uh, six, <laughs> six attempts at a letter. Could, did you see all the scrolls on the floor? 
he, he messed up the first couple times. Uh, I I digress. He's great. I want to know what he wrote in the first. <laughs> Not gonna lie, yeah. I would like that to be a post, like you know, the post credit scenes that they yes. do. I would like one of those letters to be one of the pictures, so we absolutely. Can oh, I'd be so down for that. Yeah, I yes, that'd be great. Okay, so you've nominated Soren. And, you know, that's a great nomination. I'm, I'm a fan. I, I could see people voting your way. But I wonder if my nomination could, you know, stand up to, to that as a, you know, we're, we'll see. We'll see. I am nominating Callum, who, you know, this episode is not only slightly uh, unaware of the danger, so not so I'm, I'm not going to argue that he was courageous by standing outside of the Wonder Wall, um, <laughs> or by standing still when Rayla tells him to run. Um, so I'm I'm setting myself up for failure, actually. Uh, but <laughs> rather, uh, I'm actually going to return <clears throat> full circle to your quote from the beginning that I just happened to remember, even though it's the first time I've ever heard of it. Um, this ordinary courage that uh, was it Dr. Brown talks about. Um, yeah, Brene Brown. Yeah. Have you heard of her? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I mean, I have now, but yeah, this ordinary courage is, is something that I really see Callum exemplify in this episode. And I think that's what we need more of. And it's this, between last episode and this episode, the ordinary courage of, I'm going to say what's on my heart. I'm going to vocalize it and put it out into the world so that others can hear it. And it's not something that I'm hiding, but it's something that I'm letting my vulnerable self be seen. And um, I think it's just incredible. And he does it. And, you know, it reminds me of his willingness and the way he was raised with big feelings time. It reminds me of all of these things that have given him the tools to do this that I wish more people had. And so I think that Callum deserves the lens MVP because he's, he's full of ordinary courage. And I, I think it's super extraordinary. He's a great MVP. Thanks for yeah. looking him up. Oh, so you're voting for, for Callum. Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> but I think he's a worthy opponent. How about that? Ah, okay. You're just being uh, political here. I see what you're doing. Um, well, we need an episode on politics so we can nominate Maggie for Lens MVP. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ben. Yeah, you know, but I digress. All right, we're going to talk about gratitude now. <laughs> gratitude. Uh, you remember, we'll put it on Twitter and all the things at some point, Patreon, if so you all can, can vote on the Lens. It will go up eventually. Um, typically, it's been going up a little bit later, but that's mostly because y'all aren't listening on time. Uh, at least not all of our patrons who are participating in the polls. So I kind of give it a week or two before I post the poll, just to give everybody time to listen. Uh, just to be transparent, FYI. Um, anyway, uh, going to our next segment, gratitude. 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 Do, 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 do. Love it. Um, I'm loving it. Gratitude. Okay. How many jingles can we do? Anyway, uh, we probably could. Um, grat Gratitude. Okay, I'm done. Um, gratitude, four. gratitude, gratitude all the way. Okay. <laughs> this is what happens when two music majors are in a room together. Yeah. Gotta want to need to have a gratitude. 
you probably won't recognize that one. Bojangles, Bojangles. Uh, yeah. Anyway, gratitude. It's yeah. important. We need it. We all need it. We all need it. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you grateful for? <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful for Corvus because he was just so inspirational in this episode, even though mm. he doesn't have a lot yeah. of screen time. And yet I feel like every moment he is in this episode is super important. And I really appreciate him. And he inspired me to pick the lens of courage and just that inspirational moment he had with, you know, Ezrin being like uplifting to him and being a father figure and just trying to reassure him that he has not failed as a king, as a leader and just being a human. So he, he is the person I am grateful for because yeah. he gave us so many beautiful moments. There's something really special about his dedication to Ezrin. It's, it's quite extraordinary. And, and you know, like I, we've, we've talked about loyalty at some point on this podcast. And I, like I, have, I struggle with, with loyalty, right? Because it's not always the, the best thing, right? Sometimes that blind loyalty is not good. Um, and what I see is like, not necessarily a blind loyalty, but a commitment to, to Ezrin's commitments, like the same values and the belief systems and this vision that Ezrin has cast that Corvus is very interested in. And I think it, it was, uh, it's my job to protect you, but now it's, it's my job to protect you. And I believe in you. And it's kind of like evolved and yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for that too. I'm glad that you, you're lifting that up for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do you have someone you're grateful for? Yeah, I do. You know, I I can't imagine the courage it would take to go across town as a small toad moving all these jelly tarts. (laughs) So difficult. You don't have hands. Yeah, it's just like, I I don't know. Maybe the baker was like, dropped him off. Like, hey, where you want to go, buddy? <laughs> but like, I don't like this. Bait is so attuned to Ezrin that, and, and Ezrin like knew Bait was coming in a way. I was like, I was hoping you would be my first visitor. And I just, I'm really grateful for Bait, for his, like Bait's relationship with Ezrin, for the fact that he's willing to bring all, all these jelly tarts. And it's not just out of selfishness. He wants them for himself, but also wants to share them with Ezrin. And then I just, I'm really grateful for bait. I, he made me chuckle a lot this episode. I, um, I felt for him in this episode. There was just a lot. I was, I'm, I'm grateful for, for Bate's character, for how he makes me feel. We love bait. And we love that he went to go be in jail with Ezrin, right? He literally right. went and sat in the dark with him. Yeah. Renee Brown, if you've heard of her, she talks about that. Oh, yeah. No, I heard about that from like Pema Children, but you know. Mm. <laughs> That's a deep cut right there because Brown references Pema Children. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Uh, I'm a nerd. Okay. Um, I accept that title wholeheartedly, but okay. I have one small point I want to bring up and it kind of fits into gratitude, but it's the post credit like scenes that we get with the Saka reference. Did you catch that where he's holding the cactus and he's doing the like 
cactus juice pose, but it's Callum doing it. No, I missed it. I'm sure I, because I, I, I watched them all the first time that I, I was like intentionally, because you have to pause Netflix. You do, because Netflix is just like, we keep, we move on. No, we do not Netflix. Yeah. We watch these. Bad. Yeah. And so I, I didn't do that this time. And now I regret it. Well, anyway, deep cut listeners, go watch the end credit scenes on all of the episodes, but especially this one, because there's, there's cool an stuff. Atla reference. It's yeah. great. We love it. We yeah. love when writers give us two storylines that we love, right? And we have the episode before where he goes, seems familiar. Yeah. Ring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Love Amongst the Dragons is in like yes. one or two. And there's just a lot of cool stuff going on. Lots of references. It's like Easter eggs specifically geared for us, right? <laughs> for this community. For this um, community. Who needs a Marvel Easter egg when you can have an Atla right? Easter egg? Right. So great. Man. Here, here. Ugh. Speaking of Marvel Easter egg, Atla was referenced in recently on Moon Knight. Just FYI. I heard. <laughs> I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. The, an- the anime. Um, anyway, it was a, a quick reference, but I did. It was it. amazing. Yeah. I paused the episode and uh, texted Kelly. By the way, listeners, Kelly and I are friends. We live in the same state. Oh yeah, uh, uh, so episode three, episode five. Look at that connection. Connection. (laughs) Um, yeehaw. Okay. Well, what else? Is there anything else before we before we close out? I think that's it. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Ben. I really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, FYI, everybody. Again, this is uh Maggie, who is one of our patrons, and we're so grateful to all of our patrons who have decided to uh, help us continue to do what we're doing, but especially to Maggie for joining us in this episode. Um, there's a lot of cool perks on Patreon. You can check out, highly recommend it. BNB underscore pod. Um, Maggie, do you have a favorite perk that you'd like to mention before we before we sign off? It's absolutely the live episodes that we get to do once a month. Look at that. So fantastic. We're, we're two for two on live episodes, everybody. I'm just saying all it takes. It's worth it. You any, should do it. Any tier gets to come to the live episode. That's all I'm saying. Also, the mini episodes, the personalized mini episodes are pretty fantastic. Ben does a great oh. job on those. I'll sell it. You guys should check it out. Well, anyway, support. Support. You know, we love bending, uh, not breaking. Go support them. Go follow them. I mean, do the things we do love it no big deal or anything <laughs> you should love it too okay um anyway <laughs> uh all right i think that's going to bring us to the end maggie once again thank you so much for for being here uh if you want to be found is there a way you would like for people to find you i'm not really a social media person so if people want to find me they should come to the live episodes there you go there so they should go. be a patron that's the, done <laughs> that's a what what a great suggestion. I love it. Uh, all right. Well, then that's it. BNB underscore pod for us on all the things, including uh, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon. TikTok. Uh, TikTok. Yeah. Lots of non-avatar content on TikTok at the moment, but that's okay. Um, still good. So that brings us to the end. This has been Bending Not Breaking. And until next time, be well. <laughs>